Hello, and welcome to She Speaks Volumes, the primer for feminist writings of the past 500 years. In episode six, I am reading from Harriet Jacobs' Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl. Harriet Ann Jacobs was born into slavery in North Carolina in 1813. Incidents is her autobiography and tells the journey of her appalling conditions in slavery to her harrowing escape north to freedom. This chapter falls outside of the narrative of that journey, but it illustrates the general conditions of slavery as she knew them to be. In my childhood, I knew a valuable slave named Charity, and loved her, as all children did. Her young mistress married and took her to Louisiana. Her little boy, James, was sold to a good sort of master. He became involved in debt, and James was sold again to a wealthy slaveholder, noted for his cruelty. With this man, he grew up to manhood, receiving the treatment of a dog. After a severe whipping, to save himself from further infliction of the lash, with which he was threatened, he took to the woods. He was in a most miserable condition, cut by the cowskin, half naked, half starved, and without the means of procuring a crust of bread. Some weeks after his escape, he was captured, tied, and carried back to his master's plantation. This man considered punishment in his jail, on bread and water, after receiving hundreds of lashes, too mild for the poor slave's offence. Therefore, he decided, after the overseer should have whipped him to his satisfaction, to have him placed between the screws of the cotton gin, to stay as long as he had been in the woods. This wretched creature was cut with the whip from his head to his feet, then washed with strong brine to prevent the flesh from mortifying and make it heal sooner than it otherwise would. He was then put into the cotton gin, which was screwed down only allowing him room to turn on his side when he could not lie on his back. Every morning a slave was sent with a piece of bread and bowl of water, which was placed within reach of the poor fellow. The slave was charged under penalty of severe punishment not to speak to him. Four days passed, and the slave continued to carry the bread and water. On the second morning he found the bread gone, but the water untouched. When he had been in the press four days and five nights, the slave informed his master that the water had not been used for four mornings, and that a horrible stench came from the gin house. The overseer was sent to examine it. When the press was unscrewed, the dead body was found partially eaten by rats and vermin. Perhaps the rats that devoured his bread had gnawed him before life was extinct. Poor Charity! Grandmother and I often asked each other how her affectionate heart would bear the news if she should ever hear of the murder of her son. We had known her husband, and knew that James was like him in manliness and intelligence. These were the qualities that made it so hard for him to be a plantation slave. They put him into a rough box and buried him with less feeling than would have been manifested for an old house dog. Nobody asked any questions. He was a slave and the feeling was that the master had a right to do what he pleased with his own property. And what did he care for the value of a slave? He had hundreds of them. 
When they had finished their daily toil, they must hurry to eat their little morsels and be ready to extinguish their pine knots before nine o'clock, when the overseer went his patrol rounds. He entered every cabin to see that men and their wives had gone to bed together, lest the men, from over-fatigue, should sleep in the chimney-corner and remain there till the morning horn called them to their daily task. Women are considered of no value unless they continually increase their owner's stock. They are put on par with animals. This same master shot a woman through the head who had run away and been brought back to him. No one called him to account for it. If a slave resisted being whipped, the bloodhounds were unpacked and set upon him to tear his flesh from his bones. The master who did these things was highly educated and styled a perfect gentleman. He also boasted the name and standing of a Christian, though Satan never had a truer follower. I could tell of more slaveholders as cruel as those I have described. They are not exceptions to the general rule. I do not say here there are no humane slaveholders. Such characters do exist, notwithstanding the hardening influences around them. But they are like angels' visits, few and far between. I knew a young lady who was one of these rare specimens. She was an orphan and inherited as slaves a woman and her six children. Their father was a free man. They had a comfortable home of their own, parents and children living together. The mother and eldest daughter served their mistress during the day and at night returned to their dwelling, which was on the premises. The young lady was very pious and there was some reality in her religion. She taught her slaves to lead pure lives and wished them to enjoy the fruit of their own industry. Her religion was not a garb put on for Sunday and laid aside till Sunday returned again. The eldest daughter of the slave mother was promised in marriage to a free man, and the day before the wedding this good mistress emancipated her in order that her marriage might have the sanction of law. Report said that this young lady cherished an unrequited affection for a man who had resolved to marry for wealth. In the course of time, a rich uncle of hers died. He left $6,000 to his two sons by a colored woman and the remainder of his property to this orphan niece. The metal soon attracted the magnet. The lady and her weighty purse became his. She offered to manumit her slaves, telling them that her marriage might make unexpected changes in their destiny and she wished to ensure their happiness. They refused to take their freedom, saying that she had always been their best friend. They could not be so happy anywhere as with her. I was not surprised. I had often seen them in their comfortable home and thought that the whole town did not contain a happier family. They had never felt slavery, and when it was too late, they were convinced of its reality. When the new master claimed this family as his property, the father became furious and went to his mistress for protection. I can do nothing for you now, Harry, said she. I no longer have the power I had a week ago. I have succeeded in obtaining the freedom of your wife, but I cannot obtain it for your children. The unhappy father swore that nobody should take his children from him. He concealed them in the woods for some days, but they were discovered and taken. The father was put in jail, and the two oldest boys sold to Georgia. One little girl, too young to be of service to her master, was left with the wretched mother. The other three were carried to their master's plantation. The eldest soon became a mother, and when the slaveholder's wife looked at the babe, she wept bitterly. 
she knew that her own husband had violated the purity she had so carefully inculcated. She had a second child by her master, and then he sold her and his offspring to her brother. She bore two children to the brother and was sold again. The next sister went crazy. The life she was compelled to leave drove her mad. The third one became the mother of five daughters. Before the birth of the fourth, the pious mistress died. To the last, she rendered every kindness to the slaves that her unfortunate circumstances permitted. She passed away peacefully, glad to close her eyes on a life which had been made so wretched by the man she loved. This man squandered the fortune he had received and sought to retrieve his affairs by a second marriage. But, having retired after a night of drunken debauch, he was found dead in the morning. He was called a good master, for he fed and clothed his slaves better than most masters, and the lash was not heard on his plantation so frequently as on many others. Had it not been for slavery, he would have been a better man, and his wife a happier woman. No pen can give an adequate description of the all-pervading corruption produced by slavery. The slave girl is reared in an atmosphere of licentiousness and fear. The lash and the foul talk of her master and his sons are her teachers. When she is fourteen or fifteen, her owner or his sons or the overseer, or perhaps all of them, begin to bribe her with presents. If these fail to accomplish their purpose, she is whipped or starved into submission to their will. She may have had religious principles inculcated by some pious mother or grandmother or some good mistress. She may have a lover whose good opinion and peace of mind are dear to her heart. Or the profligate men who have power over her may be exceedingly odious to her, but resistance is hopeless. The poor worm shall prove her contest vain, Life's little day shall pass, and she is gone. The slaveholder's sons are, of course, vitiated, even while boys, by the unclean influences everywhere around them. Nor do the master's daughters always escape. Severe retributions sometimes come upon him for the wrongs he does to the daughters of slaves. The white daughters early hear their parents quarreling about some female slave. Their curiosity is excited, and soon they learn the cause. They are attended by the young slave girls whom their father has corrupted, and they hear such talk as should never meet youthful ears, or any other ears. They know that the woman slaves are subject to their father's authority in all things, and in some cases they exercise the same authority over the men slaves. I have myself seen the master of such a household, whose head was bowed down in shame, for it was known in the neighborhood that his daughter had selected one of the meanest slaves on his plantation to be the father of his first grandchild. She did not make her advances to her equals, nor even to her father's more intelligent servants. She selected the most brutalized, over whom her authority could be exercised with less fear of exposure. Her father, half frantic with rage, sought to revenge himself on the offending black man, but his daughter, foreseeing the storm that would arise, had given him free papers and sent him out of the state. In such cases the infant is smothered, or sent where it has never been seen by any who know its history. But if the white parent is the father, instead of the mother, the offspring are unblushingly reared for the market. If they are girls, 
I have indicated plainly enough what will be their inevitable destiny. You may believe what I say, for I write only that whereof I know. I was twenty-one years in that cage of obscene birds. I can testify, from my own experience and observation, that slavery is a curse to the whites as well as to the blacks. It makes white fathers cruel and sensual, the sons violent and licentious. It contaminates the daughters and makes the wives wretched. And as for the colored race, it needs an abler pen than mine to describe the extremity of their sufferings, the depth of their degradation. Yet few slaveholders seem to be aware of the widespread moral ruin occasioned by this wicked system. Their talk is of blighted crops, not of the blight on their children's souls. If you want to be fully convinced of the abominations of slavery, go on a southern plantation and call yourself a negro trader. Then there will be no concealment, and you will see and hear things that will seem to you impossible among human beings with immortal souls. I think one of the most important things each of us can consider when we read a book like this is what we have inherited what prejudices, attitudes, and social rules have been passed down generation to generation that might color our perspective on race, on rights, on access to opportunities. We like to think that slavery is this thing from the past, but in some ways it still happens today on a global level. Great fortunes were made off of slavery in the south of the states at the expense of black people that were abducted from their communities and carted off to work under the most appalling, inhumane circumstances. And today, when we look at our desire in the West for cheap products and the increasing demand for profit margins from shareholders, we can easily imagine that the factory conditions to where our goods are produced are not much better than the conditions of the antebellum South. I think it's important that we understand our history, however shameful or painful it is. I think it is crucial that we also not limit African-American identity to being liberated slaves. There's a TED Talk that reminds me of this, The Danger of a Single Story, by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. I think that's definitely worth watching. Thank you so much for listening to She Speaks Volumes. The next episode will be released November the 15th, and it is Living My Life by the anarchist Emma Goldman. If you'd like to check out the other podcasts that I'm working on, please visit feralculturelab.com. If you want to comment on this episode or any other episodes, then message me on Facebook, on the Feral Culture Lab Facebook page, or shoot me an email. Uh, all of the links will be in the show notes, and I'll also include a link to the TED Talk.